if the student doesn't surpass the master, both have failed. And there's this continuum that has to happen that I had to learn from them. And eventually I have to be teaching other people what I know, because this has to be a spring-loaded situation where none of us are holding data. Sinichi Suzuki, who taught the Suzuki violin and Suzuki piano, and his deal was, look, I'd rather teach a parent to teach their child the violin rather than teach the child myself, because I think parents, the love, the dedication, it's just synergy between the parent and the child. The healing that goes on that the child believes the mother trusts the mother and the child knows the mother and the mother knows the child. There's that secret ingredient that is built into a family that when surrounded, that love plus an approach that's brain-directed creates some pretty significant changes in children. And it's not that we can't have therapists, because I'm one. It's just that I should be able to partner with the parent to help their family, rather than telling the parent, hey, you over here, I'm the smart guy, I've been doing this longer, you just pay me, I'll do it, and I'll drop your kid off, or you drop your kid off at my clinic, come back at 5.30, and I'll give you your child. I'm Emily Abbott. Welcome to The Brain Possible, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts that you can give your children is the gift of hope and possibility. Hope to fulfill their dreams or to achieve all that they want in this life. Hope to walk independently. Hope to speak. Hope to have a conversation with you and to be able to tell you what they're thinking out loud. As for possibility, imagine that anything is possible, if only you have the faith to believe it. Your journey to become more empowered, informed, connected, and free from limitations starts now. We're so happy that you're taking this journey with us. And I can still remember uh, when I was 22, seeing my first patient and being completely out of my mind, like not, not having the foggiest idea what to do, but not willing to walk away and to stay there in that really uncomfortable space. I don't know what to do, but I want to know what to do. And you know, you get to a point where you just are willing to be in the most uncomfortable places ever, with the hardest possible kids, and you just don't want to leave. And it's like, I'm going to be here until I figure this out. And we're going to figure this out together. We're going to try our best to figure this out together. And you're going to tell me what you know, and I'm going to tell you what I know, and we're going to see, and then we're going to love on this kid with the best of our gifts and talents, and we'll see where, where it ends up. But we're going to be organic and physiology. We're not going to try to cut the kid. We're not going to try to medicate the child. We're not going to... We understand that that happens. I actually started thinking about working with the brain when I was about 22, 23 years old, when I was in college. I was studying exercise physiology and exercise science. I got the opportunity to work in the university hospital and work in the clinics and do all kinds of following around and doing different things to help out all the different therapists. And as I began helping all the different therapists and using my spare time between being on the wrestling team in college, taking my college classes, I spent time in the clinic. I began to see more and more adults who were coming through with strokes and Parkinson's and young adults with traumatic brain injuries. And I, I just gravitated as it were, to helping them. And I wasn't a therapist. 
my major exercise physiology and exercise science gave me a big background on how things work. I went towards the intensity of doing that. Then I decided to get into occupational therapy and then move quickly into brain development and worked for 20 years at an organization that specialized in helping families understand the brain. If you want to heal the brain, you got to have to do it like, you have to know what normal is and you have to try to duplicate normality with the hurt child. So if you have a child who is really struggling with blindness, instead of managing the blindness, let's go back to the lower levels of the brain and create a light reflex. Matthew has dedicated his life to helping children and adults with special needs and brain injuries since 1981. He has helped and educated well over 15,000 families all around the world, including my family. My son Carter was a baby. My husband and I found the Family Hope Center, which was recommended by a dear friend of ours. We went to the Family Hope Center parent training and we were blown away. They taught us so much about how the brain develops and grows and what it needs to thrive, how to create the best environment in our home and in our routines to support our son to become vital and and have life in all these different areas of his world and his body. You have to start where the kid has an ability and build on an ability rather than trying to manage the disability. You have to duplicate wellness. You can't just develop all these procedures to manage the blindness or manage the ADD, ADHD, manage the autism. We get it that we have to do that to some extent, but if you know that kids hurt, who people say is autism, is hurt in the limbic brain and their sense of smell is compromised and their brainstem where all the reflexes are compromised and they have a nutritional metabolic struggle to just digest food, our first objective is to teach and support and guide parents to significantly heal the brain of a child so that new abilities, according to the child's current level, can be you know, developed, whether it's the ability to see, whether it's the ability to talk, whether it's the ability to move independently on the floor and crawl, combat crawl like a regular child and creep on their hands and knees or read their first sentence and understand like, what did that sentence actually mean? I mean, I read it, but I don't understand it. Like we have a bunch of kids like that. Are we treating the brain or are we managing it? Are we inside out or outside in? Are we top down, medicating? We get questions because people start asking us as we become more visible. Just the other day, we said something about cranial sacral. All these people became interested and someone said, oh, my child has severe seizures and I've always wanted to try that. Is that okay to try? If you've ever worn a baseball hat and at the end of the day you have a headache, what happened was the baseball hat was so tight it restricted your cranial bones, which restricted blood flow in your brain, and you got a headache. Well, imagine if those bones were stuck from birth or stuck from a traumatic brain injury or stuck, and you just had this underlying headache your whole life. But you didn't know that because you're a hurt child. And your brain was never really getting flushed with blood. And when you lay asleep at night, it never really cleaned itself because there was no motion because the brain should expand and the brain expands and contract like your colon does and like your lungs do. The bones are there to protect your head from, you know, a lot of injury, right? But the bones move back and forth like the rib cage. So when you do cranial work, you support the motion, the flexion and expansion of the brain. Of course, that links to the sacrum, which is your colon. What are you uh, advising people to do to stay sane at home with all their other kids now? We give them a lot of routines. We say, we say to a lot of parents, look, and the, more, the more chaos you have, the more routines you should have. So when the, when the well kids are now staying home, 
and they're integrating more with the herd child. We've been doing Zoom calls to our international families and our domestic families every week. So we got a whole bunch of parents on and we're just, and we've been coaching them the last month about routines for dining. Like we're going to eat at this time, this time, and this time. We're going to have, this time is going to be your physical time. We're going to go out and play in the backyard. We're going to play this, this, and this, because we got to get outside in the yard. And you're going to go to bed at these times and you're going to do your homework at these times. And so they've kind of let their kids kind of run the show a little bit because they were feeling bad about them being at home. You don't have any sympathy for them. You just have like, okay, I love you. And I understand this is going on. Here's our routine. We're up at this time. We take our shower, boom, 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 boom. And the families that get into the routine with the well kids and the hurt kids, and they kind of limit the screen time. They don't let the child like go wacky on the screens. But look, if you want to do screen time, you have, if you want an hour of screen time, you have to read a book for an hour. And you have to work out. You have an hour of physical, an hour of screen time, an hour of reading a book. I don't care if it's Batman and Superman comic book. Or if it's Treehouse or it's Count of Monte Cristo. I don't care. Whatever level you are, reading, screen time has to be the same. And parents are like, hmm. Secretly, we all know that we sit down and read the Count of Monte Cristo or Treehouse book. Time passes when you're reading a good book when you're in fourth grade and fifth grade and sixth grade. And But we just forgot. We're so entertained that we forgot to let our imagination go into different places. So we've been finding from parents like, you know what? My kid is reading more now and we're actually hugging more. Like I tell my parents, look, you got to hug your kid for 30 seconds every day. Each kid gets a hug for 30 seconds and you put your heart on their heart. You don't like hug them this way. You put your heart on their heart. In Chinese medicine, that's the way you heal people. You put your heartbeat and you put it against their heartbeat and you blend them and you use your heartbeat as a reference for them. And so the parents are like, you know what? To be fair, I don't think I've hugged my kid for 30 seconds. I don't think I've hugged my husband for 30 seconds in a long time. Like we hug like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then we're off like getting coffee and running in the car and doing all this stuff for the rest of the family. But I'm kind of out of practice of just hugging my kid every day for 30 seconds. And what we find is parents are coming up to us and going, oh my God, my kid is actually coming up to me and saying, where's my hug today? We've forgotten. We get so busy that we forgot to hug each other, go out in the backyard for three times a day, 10 minutes, and play a sport with your kid. Is it awkward the first time? Yes. After four or five days, you figure out the rules of how to play with each other. We're just going to throw the ball back and forth, or kick a ball back and forth, or do what, what, throw a frisbee back and forth. You get into conversations you haven't had with your well kid for a while. And in the beginning, they're going, oh, mom, you're like, you're so slow. And oh, my God, you can't even throw that Frisbee. We find at the end of the week, mom can chuck that Frisbee like she was 17. She just was out of practice. So we've been giving parents like some practical advice. And you know what? Sometimes the little things matter. If I eat at the same time and no cell phones show up at the table and my screen time has to match my reading time and I do my physical, we've had less cranky kids. Some of our parents will regret when the kids go back to school because they started having a relationship with the child that they didn't have because they were so busy moving the child from one activity to another, like soccer and then pony riding and violin, schoolwork, that they didn't really have a relationship. They had kind of a management. Why is it important for a routine? Well, there's a couple of reasons. From a deep brainstem, your pineal gland is responsible for your circadian rhythms when you get up, when you go to sleep and so on. But it also has little built-in software programs for when you eat and when you sleep. And there's this biology of movement of when your brain knows when you're going to be eating right now, it begins to get set. When your brain knows now it's time to do physical, it begins to anticipate that. And then all the parts of your body start to organize like, I'm going to work right now and now I'm going to do this. Now I'm going to work out. I put my sneakers on. So my brain starts to change. We don't 
feel that change, but kind of we do like, oh, now it's going to run that. And you can feel like I have to run. So there are moments deeper than your brain that helps your brain feel calmer when you know what's happening. Your brain likes it when there's structure. It, it can anticipate what's happening. And then it could play itself out in a higher level way. Like when I know I'm going to eat this, I'm going to get up, work out take a shower, have my bulletproof coffee in the morning, go and see children. I'm going to have lunch at somewhere around one to two, and it's going to be kind of this. And then I'm going to see kids still this. I'm going to, then I can be more effective because I can focus on that. If I'm not quite sure what's happening in my day, we're eating at this time, or now we're not eating at this time, I get a little anxious in my brainstem. My medulla oblongata and my pons get anxious. There's not enough routine, so I've got to figure out the gaps. If I'm under seven years old and I'm not practiced, routines and I never, my mother never really put me in routines. I have a little anxiousness going on and I get irritated because I'm not really feeding my brain at the same time. I'm not running at the same time. I'm not exercising. I'm not getting up at the same time. So I get disorganized. And as adults, we like routines. We like going to work at the same place. We like parking our car generally in the same area. We like shopping at Costco's or, or Whole Foods or Wegmans or Trader Joe's, we like our stores. We like our dry cleaning people. We like we like things in a routine. And we're always trying to upgrade our routines to be more effective and be more efficient. And we spend more time actually involved in the routine doing well as opposed to anticipating, now, when is my mother going to feed me again? When are we going to do this again? When are we going to do that again? Part of it is that we find that routines are really important, especially the more hurt you are, the more routines you are. More predictability you have to have in your life so that you can anticipate what's going on. The more you get less stressed and the more you can participate in a higher level way. You can graduate with an occupational therapy degree or a physical therapy degree and all those degrees, which is great. God bless me. God bless everybody. But sometimes it takes you like five, six, seven years to really get your feet grounded in the theoretical has to be able to be transferable into the practical application and handed to the therapist or the parent so that everybody's got the same amount of information. And that takes a little bit of time. And you make mistakes and you fall down. But, you know, like yourself, you get up and you just press on. And that's awesome. When, when, when you know all this knowledge, but then you've actually put your brain through it, your physical brain, your body, you, you worked it out, then you kind of refine and you become skillful. And you can't really take shortcuts in skill. After spending 20 years creating and managing development programs for an international clinic for brain-injured children, Matthew believed that integrating new advances in brain development were the keys to a child's successful neurological growth and development. 65% of our population is ADD to ADHD. I went to two conferences recently taught by PhD neurologists who said that ADD ADHD can't be cured. It was a chronic condition. I was bolted to my seat, couldn't believe it. But I went anyway, just to hear what everybody else is saying. And the majority of the population is, you know, hey, my kid's got this diagnosis and, you know, he's whacked. And we got to develop strategies so that he can manage himself so that when he gets to be 25, he can be employed and he's not living at home in the basement. I'm like, you know what? That's not the way God made the brain. This is not the way it works. There's a lot of other things that we can do. And we graduate kids with this condition, this neurological situation, which we call ADHD. We're trying to be light in the darkness. And you know, we get shot in the knee constantly by people telling us, it's impossible, man, you can't fix that. That's chronic. No, it's not. It's not a chronic condition. There's a way out of that really dark, dark, dark diagnosis. 
in 2002, he co-founded the Family Hope Center with his wife, Carol, brought together a team of physicians and clinicians to help teach, guide, and support parents in helping develop their children. Since that time, he and his team have helped children achieve extraordinary breakthroughs and advances in independent movement, leading to walking and running, communication and speech, vision and reading, social development and learning. Matthew and his team continue to educate themselves and incorporate new developments and techniques into the Family Hope Center's neurodevelopment approach. I got to talk to Matthew. It was so much fun. There's so much to learn from the Family Hope Center. I hope that this episode brings you some good nuggets of gold information that you can take and learn at home and that might even encourage you to hop on their website. They have so many videos. They have an online now parent training you can do online. You don't even have to go to them. We found that it, it really kind of just kicked off our learning into what we needed to do to support our son's healing. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Matthew. Please subscribe, leave us a review. Also, feel free to reach out and let me know what you would like to learn about. And if there's anyone out there that you'd love to hear me have on one of our upcoming episodes.